Why do some cryptocurrency projects charge users a fee to interact with the blockchain and others don't? Are some cryptocurrencies just greedier than others? Or is there something more at play here? Join me in today's video where we talk about gasless cryptocurrencies, transaction fees, and the different ways that transaction fees are implemented differently by different cryptocurrency projects to give users more choices about what works best for them. That's the subject of today's video. Hey everyone and welcome back. This is the Part-Time Economist and in today's video we are talking about transaction fees, gasless cryptocurrencies, a whole lot of cool topics. But before we jump into the video, I do want to say as with all of the videos, nothing here is financial advice. I'm simply doing my best effort to help you understand more about cryptocurrencies and how they work, specifically with regards to transaction fees. Now, no one likes paying fees. So the appeal of gasless or fee-less cryptocurrencies is something that many people would be interested in. But Let's take a step back. Why are there fees in general? Why do any cryptocurrencies charge a transaction fee? Well, in order to understand this, we've got to take a step back and ask, what even is a cryptocurrency? At the basic level, cryptocurrencies are a decentralized payment network. We send funds from one person to another person without the need for a single trusted centralized authority. Now, in order for this to happen, there's got to be several things. We've got to actually have the funds available to send. Someone needs to be able to receive those funds. And someone has to actually process that transaction. Now, in order to process this transaction, we've got to make sure that the transaction complies with the rules of the blockchain, that the sender has sufficient funds available. And even after we process this transaction, it has to be stored indefinitely on the blockchain. All of this takes up storage space, computing hardware, electrical costs. So we need some way of incentivizing the people that validate these transactions. Henceforth, we will just call them miners. We need some way of incentivizing these miners to process the transactions and compensate them for the resources they are expending. That's one goal of transaction fees. On top of that, cryptocurrencies are unique in that there's a finite number of transactions that can be processed at a time. In order to expedite transactions that are more urgent, we can pay a higher fee. So fees help us prioritize transactions, and this is one that's often overlooked. Transaction fees are helpful for preventing spam transactions that clog up the network. Remember, we're not Visa, we're not MasterCard, we can't just block certain cryptocurrency wallets. So someone could theoretically just send out tons and tons of worthless transactions to bog down the network and make it so that no one could use it. Transaction fees make this uh, less economically viable and impose a cost to attempting to sabotage the network. So let's just assume, and again, there's plenty of videos talking about transaction fees. For the purposes of this video, let's just assume that they are necessary, right? We can say higher fees or lower fees are better or worse. There's trade-offs involved, but the basic point is that some kind of transaction fee is necessary. Now, different cryptocurrencies implement these fees differently. I broadly like to classify them into two groups. 
paper transaction. So you just pay a fee every time you do a transaction and resourced based models, which we'll talk about later on. Um, but the standard is pay per transaction. And then you've got a few outliers such as Tron. That's kind of a hybrid model. We will talk about that as well. So let's start off with the most basic Bitcoin, the cryptocurrency that most people know about if they're involved with cryptocurrency to any degree. The original cryptocurrencies such as Bitcoin and even subsequent cryptocurrencies, if we're thinking about ADA, if we're thinking about Ethereum, really any of these subsequent cryptocurrencies simply ask the user to pay a fee every time they do a transaction. Now, they pay this out of their available balance and here's the key they pay it in the native cryptocurrency. So if I'm transacting on, in this example here, you can see the Binance Smart Chain, I pay that fee in BNB. If I'm transacting on Ethereum, even if I'm sending basic attention token, I pay that fee in Ethereum. And what you'll notice is that I pay a certain fee regardless of how much cryptocurrency I own. It doesn't matter if I own a million Bitcoin or a tenth of a Bitcoin. The fee for sending a certain amount is going to be the same regardless of who I am or how much crypto that I own. Resource-based models are, in my opinion, a little bit more complex to understand, but they can offer some advantages. The cool thing about resource-based models is that they allow us to have free cryptocurrency transactions. Let me explain what I mean by that. Here you can see the WAX blockchain. Now, on the WAX blockchain, you have three separate resources, RAM, CPU, and NET. Depending on what kind of transaction you are doing, you will consume different amounts of these resources. Now, the cool thing is doing transactions consumes your resources, but these resources replenish over time, so it doesn't really cost you anything. However, what you'll notice is that these resources don't come for free. In order to accumulate resources, you typically have to stake a certain amount of cryptocurrency. The more you stake, the more resources you get to do transactions. So if you're just sending one or two transactions, a small stake is fine. But if you're trying to do a lot of transactions, you will have to stake a large amount of that cryptocurrency. And just to give you an example of this, I left a upvote on some random post on uh, the Hive blockchain. When I did this, you can see that my resource credit dropped from 100% down to 99.97%. Again, not a huge drop because I have a lot of uh, resources on that blockchain, but it still illustrates the point. And then you have some that are kind of in the middle. Tron is kind of an outlier here in that it allows you to pay fees in two different ways. If you don't have a lot of Tron cryptocurrency, you're just trying to make a simple transaction, you can pay that fee with your available Tron cryptocurrency. But if you're really invested in the blockchain, you really like Tron, you want to be a continuing part of that ecosystem, you can purchase Tron and stake that Tron to give yourself sufficient resources to do these free transactions. Now, with all of this being said, I'd like to have a discussion about some of the pros and cons of each model. Now, keep in mind, this isn't saying you should go out and buy one or you shouldn't buy one. I'm trying to help you understand the theoretical kind of justification for these. So 
with the transaction fee model, again, that's Bitcoin, that's Ethereum, that's Cardano, that's basically the vast majority of your cryptocurrencies, you're going to pay every single time that you do a transaction. So it's not necessarily a long-term investment. Think of it kind of like a fee for sending a bank wire, right? If you want to send a bank wire, you don't care about the long-term health of the company doing your bank wire. You're just going to pay them to send out that fee. Now, a benefit of the transaction fee model is that it incentivizes these miners to process your transactions. Now, every time a transaction is done, you're paying a fee. What this means is that even after the block rewards, right? So we talk about Bitcoin. You may know that every time a Bitcoin block is produced, there are new Bitcoin that are given to the person that produces that block. So Bitcoin is continually inflating, as are most cryptocurrencies. So the reward that a miner gets for validating a block is not just the transaction fee, but the block reward. The cool thing about transaction-based models is that even if those block rewards expire someday, as they will with Bitcoin, miners will still be incentivized to process transactions thanks to the transaction fee. So theoretically, it's possible for these type of blockchains to continue operating without continual inflation. On the flip side, with the resource-based models, I like to think of them as more of prepaid so in order to build up a sufficient amount of resource credits, we've got to invest a significant amount into the underlying cryptocurrency and not just invest it, but stake it as well. So we have to lock that cryptocurrency up for a certain amount of time where we can't sell it. So we need to think not just do I want to send this transaction, but what's the long-term health of this blockchain? Is my cryptocurrency going to be valuable in the future? A little bit more long-term thinking. Now, also, because we are not paying the miners a fee for each transaction, this is generally going to require some kind of inflation to incentivize the miners to produce those blocks. So, obviously, pros and cons to both. Uh, the goal of this video isn't to tell you which is better or worse, but just to give you a general idea of how they work and why they're different. As always, I'd like to thank you for watching the video, and I'll see you next time.